Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of As For The Rest Of Us. Today's guest is Amanda Bigby. Amanda and I first met when I was working at a nonprofit here in the Dallas, Texas area, and she was serving on our board of advisors. Amanda is one of those people that after the first time you meet her, you then leave every interaction feeling more inspired to live as your most authentic self. She is someone who lives louder. She loves louder, which you will hear her talk about. And it comes through in both the ways she fiercely advocates for issues and topics that are important to her, and also the way that she lives out her life with such joy, laughter, and gratitude. I'm excited for you all to have the opportunity to hear her story today. I did want to go ahead and let you know that in this episode, we talk about losing a loved one to suicide. If this is a topic that's triggering to you, today's episode may not be the one for you to listen to. And in that case, we look forward to having you back next week. If you do listen to today's episode, you will notice there's a little bit of an audio echo anytime that I am speaking in the podcast. The fun thing is that this is the first time I recorded in person with the guest. The unfortunate note is that I'm just a beginner in figuring out how to make the audio work. So I apologize for how that impacted the audio sound. With that being said, let's go ahead and get to today's episode. Well, folks, welcome to an episode with the Amanda Bigby who just introduced me to the song Jiggle Jiggle, and I thought there is no more perfect way to start this episode. So hello, and welcome to As for the Rest of Us, Amanda Bigby. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Amanda, I, in the intro, let the audience know a little bit about how we know one another, why it is that I invited you onto the show today, but certainly I'm excited for them to get a chance to hear it directly from you throughout the episode today. But you have listened, you've been so generous to listen to the podcast episodes that have been released Mm -hmm. thus far. So you know, we like to start just a fun couple like warm up questions. Okay, I'm nervous. What is the most random Amazon purchase you have made? This is (laughs) probably... This is probably the most useless one. I'll go ahead and go with this. There is this doohickey that's kind of like a cylinder and it's got a razor blade inside of it and you can use it to cut gift wrap perfectly. So you slide it down the gift wrap and it slices it in a straight line. What? My mind is (laughs) quite literally blown. I know. I was thrilled to see it. I was so excited. Wow. So yeah, I just, it, that's my most recent randomest okay. purchase. Oh my gosh. Did it just populate for you? Like, was it with a recommended purchase or how did you even stumble upon said thing? This is a, that is a good follow-up question, podcast Katie. It, it was not, I was, I was reading one of those goofy articles that Facebook pops up that are a complete waste of time, but it was the best things to purchase on Amazon that you wouldn't think you need to purchase. And it was one of the things on that list. I was like, I wrap a lot of gifts. So I decided we had to give it a whirl. Oh my gosh. All the more reason to actually read those articles. Actually consume the articles that get thrown at me. Wow. I know. Okay. Second warm-up question I want to ask you, and you are the perfect person to ask this question to. Oh what does joy sound like? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, joy sounds like laughter that is so hard you forget that you sound stupid. 
So, oh, like, the gosh. giggle snorts, like, the just full, like, belly laughing, the, the cackling, that that's what joy sounds like to me. Yes. Yeah. Like, not the, like, oh, polite, like, like the, the full bore giggle snorts. Yes. And what I love most about that answer is that you are one of the people in my life who makes me do that the most. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. A long time ago, I decided not to like try to fake laugh. Like it's, if I'm, if I'm laughing, it's legitimate laughing. Yeah. And I laugh a lot. You do. Yeah. I also love that. I embrace the laughter. I also love that about you. Um, so we've gotten to know a little bit about you, but you also know that the show is, it has some depth to it of course and we and so i'm going to let you introduce yourself to the audience and just you know answer the question with such a light question which is who is amanda bigby she's a small town girl come to the city um she's a sister and a daughter uh a friend she's a lawyer um i try to fit most of my life into four quadrants. I think of them as quadrants in my life. Um, one is to love louder. One is to be my authentic self and in every relationship and in every room. Um, another is suicide prevention. And the last one is just fearless support of public education. Those aren't necessarily really like time quadrants, but in every moment of my life, one of those four things, if not multiple of them, should be true. The authentic life one should be true across the board, but um, most of my time is spent either loving louder, suicide prevention, or um, public education support. Okay. You didn't know you were doing this, but you built a bridge to me for the next sort of topic, which is, you know, this this is a show about as for the rest of us. So the stories of everyday people and the impact they're making in the world. And when I asked you to be a guest on the podcast, I think my, I don't know what my exact words to you were, but it was essentially along the lines of there are so many parts of your story that are impactful to so many lives that no matter what avenue you took it down, I knew it would lead to a meaningful podcast episode for people. And that those quadrants of how you just described yourself are some really significant pieces of what I would say makes you and your story so impactful for other people, you know, knowing that I was going to come chat with you today, what came to mind for you about, you know, what pieces of your story would be impactful to share? Yeah. Anytime I get the opportunity to talk about public education and the impact it has on kids um, and suicide prevention, both, I will take. So even if it leads me to a place that I'm not particularly personally comfortable or a place that I feel a little out of my depths. I'm willing to take risks in those areas because I feel like the messaging is so important. So when you asked me, I thought, oh, I have no idea if anybody would ever want to hear my story because all of us think that, like, why would anybody want to hear about my story? But it's not about what I think about my story. It's about making sure other people hear about the causes So whatever I can do to make sure people know that mental health is real and that suicide prevention is important and anything I can do to reduce the stigma around getting help around mental health is something I will do every time, no question. And particularly right now, anything I can do to lift up teachers and other educators and 
rally public support for the work being done in public education classrooms is, again, something I will do without question. Yeah, I love that. And I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking another thing that I admire about you is how well you know yourself. I mean, for someone to be able to say, these are my four quadrants, and if I'm committing my life to it, then it needs to fit in one of these four quadrants is such an elevated level of self-awareness and self-commitment. And so I'm just, you know, if I'm an everyday audience member just listening to you, I'm thinking, but how did she figure that out? So would you mind sharing with us a little bit about your journey to figuring that out? Yeah, of course. I grew up in a household that a good chunk of my life, my father was in public education and for a little while my mother was as well. That's just the world I grew up in. Probably more even substantially though, I had some exceptional elementary school teachers. Like super strangely, I'm still friends with three of them. Facebook friends check on each other's and Christmas cards level friends. And that's crazy to me to think that I was six years old when I was with Miss Goodwin and now she's Miss Moncrief and she's a dear friend and I love her. And the impact they had on my life was so substantial that I initially thought, I'm going to teach. That's what I'm called to do. So I started thinking I wanted to be a teacher. And my father is smarter than I am. And when I went home for Christmas, he said, why don't you substitute while you're here? And I thought, oh, that's a fantastic idea. I'll be doing my passion and making some extra money. And they put me in a kindergarten classroom for a week for a woman who was on maternity leave. And I was like, this is going to be amazing with five-year-olds. This is going to be great. And on Wednesday, I was laying in the floor of this classroom as the big hand of a clock. And I thought, I can't do this the rest of my life. <laughs> like, I know without a doubt in my soul that I can't do. Not only will I not be good at this, I cannot do it. So I finished the week out because I'd made a commitment and I never went back and I changed my major as soon as I got back from Christmas break. But I knew deep in my soul that public education was the place for me. I knew just I was not destined. I was not skilled for a classroom setting like that. So I went to law school, found my way back to education quickly and have been an advocate and a a lawyer for public education for the last 19 years, 18 full-time really. But, um, it's it's been amazing. So supporting teachers is the the best gift of my life. Truly, like I, when you work with lawyers, they're amazing and awesome people. I've met some of the most amazing lawyers, but there is nothing like working for teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, the level of just gratitude and. They're doing what they're doing because they're called to do it and love doing it. And people who love children are just good people. And protecting them is is my life's work. And I know that now. So the journey was a little bit bumpy initially. And I had to be self-aware enough to go like, whoa, <laughs> like ultra course, this is not for me. That was also the time frame when my mother started having acute issues with depression. So she was very much struggling. And it got to a crescendo point the summer between my junior and senior years. We tried to get her all the help we could. We did everything we knew how to do in 1998. Admittedly, it was not as much as I know now. Um, But we lost her to suicide in August of that year, right before we started school. So my sister was going into her sophomore year, and I was starting my senior year at Baylor when we lost her to suicide. At the time, 
I did not have the skills or the support I needed to process a death by suicide. There were people asking me, like, how long did she have cancer? And that's a really jarring question when your mom didn't die from cancer. So there was a lot of she didn't have cancer, but I don't really know how to. There was a lot of shame wrapped around that. And I swore to my, after some therapy and processing the grief and all that, I swore to myself that I would do whatever I could to make sure another kid didn't have to feel the shame. Like, even if you lost somebody you loved to suicide, you shouldn't have the compounded impact of feeling shame around it. So I work to really support speaking out about mental health and making sure people know I'm a safe place to have those conversations and that I will always work to find resources to help someone in need. Um, And then I raise money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, every chance I get. So really the clarity around my whys um, or my, my, what I feel like my quadrants or purposes are came from life experiences, some that I wouldn't have chosen. So when big things happen in your life, I feel like you can either choose to crumble under them, ignore them or grow with them. And I really try to grow with them. Those are probably the most impactful things in my life have been the educators who helped shape me and losing my mom. So I've just decided that those are the things I'm going to work to try to fix. Well, first of all, thank you. um, You're so welcome. Sharing that. And second, you know, there's so much about your story that I'm just drawn to and that I admire about your fierce advocacy in both areas, both in public Mm -hmm. education as well as in suicide prevention and mental health awareness. You know, in the beginning, you talked about sometimes in your four quadrants, you find yourself in a place of discomfort, out of your comfort zone, doing things, you know, being vulnerable. And so I'm just wondering, is taking on that voice of advocacy, is that something that comes to you naturally or is that something you've had to step into? I have never had a problem with talking. I'm 99% extrovert. I... I'm not one of those people that gets nervous in front of, I mean, I get a little like natural nervous, but I'm not terrified of talking in front of large groups of people. It just doesn't bother me. I will say because of the way I became entrenched in the suicide prevention cause, the shame creeps in if you're not real careful. So there's always just a glimmer of like, are people going to think I'm broken? And I went through years of going, am I broken? You know, sometimes people look like or act like or take after one parent or the other. I am, I'm a carbon copy of my mother. Like I look like her, our temperaments are very similar. We have the same laugh. Like I am, people see me and are like, whoa, you are so much your mom. And I love that. It is a blessing to me. Truly, I find peace in that. But there, there were definite moments in my life that I was like, hold on, I can't be an exact copy because that didn't end well. Mm-hmm. So there's been some therapy about, hey, I need to make sure I'm aware of what's going on inside me enough that if I start feeling the same feelings that took her, that I'm aware and know what to do. Man, I just veered off your question hard. But is it hard? No, other than there are insecurities that you're always tapping down. And I think everybody has those. And it's hard to stand up in front of people and say, I lost my mom to suicide and I'm constantly aware that that's a risk for me because once you've lost someone, you're at a greater risk of 
of completing yourself. So just hyper awareness of that fact makes me uncomfortable. But the benefit of it so far outweighs any level of uncomfortableness that it's almost a non-issue. Every time I post on social media or I tell my story somewhere, I can't tell you how many people reach out privately saying, I had a cousin complete, where can I send my family for help? Or I know somebody really struggling, I'm afraid for their safety right this moment, what can I do? And it reminds me that the more I tell that story, the more people are helped by that story. So I can never know what may or may not have happened otherwise, but I take comfort in knowing that me being vulnerable and talking about it absolutely makes inroads. Even if my whole life's work only saves one person, it's worth it. So, so you know that I lost an extended family member yes. to suicide as well. And it's not something that we really talk about sure. within my family. And so when I met you and became friends with you, it took away a piece of that shame to say, yeah. we can talk about this. And it doesn't have to be something that we hide behind and that we are shameful about. And I think for me, even just being in your circle of people who watches the way you do life have been impacted by, Aww. you know, the way you choose to go about life and, and love louder through those situations. So I gave me goosebumps. Good. I'm, I'm glad. So glad. I'm so glad it helped you. Yes, of course. And I, you know, the other thing that really stood out to me, you felt like you were veering off course, but I was listening <laughs> intently. And what really stood out to me is sort of the constant self-check-in for you. You know, you were talking about, I, I consistently need to be evaluating. Am I in a healthy space with this? Am I processing this well? You know, I think sometimes those of us who see people out there being advocates don't realize that that's such an important component for your own health and well-being is to sure. make sure you're doing that for yourself. Because otherwise, I would imagine it would be very easy to run yourself into the ground. So I'm just curious to know, like, how have you built a community around you of support mm -hmm. as you are out there advocating and fighting sure. so fiercely for others? That's a really good question. Uh, my sister is also a fierce advocate. Um, we started our journey on suicide prevention together from the get-go, obviously. And then we really became engaged when, with it when the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention first came to Dallas for one of their overnight walks. And Amy and I decided um, to do it. Well, <laughs> Amy walks them. I support in the walking. But um, we did the Dallas walk that year. And um, Amy has done every year since then. So having her with me is the best kind of support a person could ever have. She has her doctorate in counseling and is very self-aware and also um, knows about constant check-ins with yourself and seeing where you are. So that's obviously tremendously helpful. I also have epic level friends, like love me right where I am and give support even on days that are uglier than others. And having a core group of friends that you know you can like ugly cry with and trust with everything makes the weight much less heavy. So those are people that I check in with constantly. A few of those friends are like my, my ride or die friends. They're the ones that will actually call me out on it and like not wait for me to say I need help, but we'll be like, hey, friend, let's shut the door like you seem to be struggling with this right now. Let's talk through it. 
And those reminders on, I can see it in your face that you're struggling are the best, those uncomfortable conversations and the friends that are not going to take, yeah, I'm good or I'm okay is well enough. Even sometimes when I'm like, I really don't want to process this right this minute, but man, that's critical levels of help. Um, just to remind me that you've, you've got to keep checking in and you've got to stay on top of it. Just like if you have a fever, you, you take the Advil and you keep taking your temperature. Mental health is a thing for everybody. You've got to check in and take your temperature and see where you are and go to the doctor if you're sick. And, and it's, it's also a heavy, heavy time, time to be in public education. education. And so I can imagine that having that community that can yeah. you can be real with is as important as it ever has been, I would imagine. I would say it's more critical now than it's ever been in my life. Even like when the suicide of my mom was super fresh, the mental health supports right now are, are more critical. Um, the whole world, education and beyond, is sharply divided. And that kind of conflict wears on people, even when it's not front and center with you. But being in education right now, it is front and center. And it's it's not an easy time to advocate and protect public education, but it's a critical time for it. Um, and I'm constantly a reminder that when things get hard, it's when it's most important. So it, it, there's a lot of need right now to make sure I am refocusing, recentering, keeping a good work-life balance, because it's really easy to allow it to swamp everything else um, and capsize the boat. So it's a constant balancing of making sure I'm well enough to do the work I have to do. Yeah, it's a hard time. When I say I cannot imagine, that is not an understatement. And I just have so much respect for anyone who is so committed to public education. And if you walked away from it tomorrow, I don't think anyone would blame you, but who is staying in the fight regardless of not regardless, in spite of the fact that it's so divided and so tense and so difficult at the moment and knowing that you're there, yes, to fight for children, but also to fight for those educators. My community deserves to have kids that have the best education that we possibly can give them. And the teachers in those classrooms are giving it their all. Like I have no doubt in my mind that they are pouring into those kids with all of their energy and love and care and supporting them is truly a gift. Some of the most meaningful work I can imagine doing. So if I can take just some of the stress off of their principals or their assistant principals or them and make sure they don't have to worry about a few of the things on their plate or figure out a way to alleviate something that is concerning them, I will end the day every day going, okay, that was a day well spent. And doing meaningful work makes it more like a mission than a job. And that that certainly fuels your fire. That's the good stuff. Even on hard days, I can go, okay, but the kids got a good education today. And that's amazing. Yeah. And on the days I get to go and see yeah. it happening, mm. man, that's the good stuff. That's the magic. Yeah. yeah, that's the good stuff. That's the magic. It's amazing. It's amazing when you see a kid's face like light up, either from joy or getting it, like conquering some. It, it's amazing. The work teachers do truly is transformational. 
and it's the the best equalizer we have. So kids, every kid deserves that kind of education. I truly do love the work. It's hard. It's hard right now. It's stressful a lot of times, but I, I love the work and that hasn't changed and it won't change. That It's work that matters. It's not going to change. I love that. Me too. Right. Well, as I start to wrap us up, you also mentioned in the beginning that one of your quadrants is being authentic. And one of the things that I know about you and part of your authenticity is joy, right? I mean, we started this episode with a fun song and some laughter and talking about what joy sounds like and you immediately knowing what the answer to that was. And so what you have shared today are some hard, heavy things. But I know that you find little ways to weave joy into those hard, heavy things. I try. You know, so where, where does that part of that come from, that joy piece of it? Um, I do believe in grateful. Gratitude is one of my drivers. I have an alarm on my phone. It goes off at 8 p.m. to remind me that I need to do my grateful for the day. Um, during the pandemic, I started posting them on, so I've been doing them for a long, long time, but I started posting them on social media to keep me accountable to them. It wasn't so much thinking it was going to impact anybody else. It really wasn't. It was just, if I post them on Facebook and people see them, it's accountable for me to keep doing it. And I'm amazed how many people actually do like the grateful posts, but every single day there's something to be grateful for. Even the hardest days, there's something to be grateful for. And that's been tested the last few years. I mean, I, I lost my stepmother. We've had some very hard days in the last couple of years, but there is always something to be grateful for. So I try to do that constantly every day. I have grateful pumpkins in my office right now. <laughs> people who come by to visit my office has to write something on the grateful pumpkin, mm. um, which I love. And I keep them for years. So I have like five grateful pumpkins on my desk right now. It's cluttered. I also really believe in, and this is going to sound weird for a middle-aged lawyer, but I, I believe in silly. I believe we take ourselves too seriously. And I don't see why suicide prevention can't have confetti cannons. Like, it's just, I, I don't see why we have to think everything has to be so serious. Mental health is serious, but when you talk about it clinically, people don't listen. And if I can make something more fun or approachable or whimsical in some way, I'm, I'm going to do it. So, and I try to surround myself with people and things that draw some of that out of me. I have a blue Christmas tree this year just because I, <laughs> I wanted one that was a little wonky. I've got a bright yellow sofa because I, why would I have a brown one? I just really like the way my heart feels when I seek out joy. And I've learned to do that almost constantly. And it, it brings me more delight than it gives others. And I, I just have decided that's a more fun way to live. And I'm going to say to you, I think your joy and the way you walk through life is so genuine and authentic that it never, you know, I think sometimes, I mean, right, toxic positivity is a whole topic and conversation right now. And it is so genuine with you that I never wonder, is this performative? Is she doing this because she wants to make people laugh? No, it's just... So, so genuine to who you are. And so, and so I just want to say to you, I know that, that is always your intention and that it is felt by people. I, I don't ever want to be that way. I don't ever want it to be something that's not coming from a 
a sincere and pure place in my heart. And I think you can usually tell the difference Mm -hmm. because real joy is deep inside. It's not something that Facebook cares about. And I think you can have joy even in the hard times without it being fake. Mm -hmm. And it takes some effort to really feel it. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate that because I do kind of struggle particularly now when people are so often accused of toxic positivity. Like I'm like, Oh, I'm a little too sunshine right now, but I'm really to a place in my life. I'm 45. I'm to a place in my life that I don't really care what anybody else thinks about that. I used to walk into rooms and wonder like, I wonder if they're going to like me. And now I'm to a place that I can wonder if I'm going to like them. Mm. And that's a really like solid place to be because I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm happy. And I really don't need anybody else's permission to be that way. Oh, ma'am, you do not. <laughs> I will Thanks. second that. Okay. My last question is, you're talking yeah. to everyday people. To KDK me, and the, so the KDKs and the Amanda Dickies <laughs> and the people who are just out there living their life trying to make the yeah. most of it. You know, what would you want to say to yeah. the rest of us? My, my best guidance, my, my, be- my best nugget is every single day you have a choice and you can choose to love louder. You can choose to love louder than the people that are hating. You can choose to love louder than whatever fear you have, Um, whatever pain you're in, you can love louder than that. And I'm, I'm an advocate for people saying what's on their heart and first amendment and all that business, but the cure to what ails us truly is to just love louder than the rest of it. So my sister and I, it's our mantra. We say it all the time. It's my license plate on my car. Like I I believe that when you focus your life on loving louder than anything else, everything else works out. Everything else finds its place if you're coming from a sincere place of love. And it's from everything from traffic to the big decisions of your life. If you can just commit to doing things out of love rather than something else, it will transform you to your very core. That's where the real joy comes from is just rooting yourself in that kind of love. So love louder. Well, Amanda Bigby, anyone was keeping track. We just (laughs) talked about Amanda's entire quadrant. And so I loved that that happened. And that's how true your quadrant is to you, right? Like it is so core to who you are because it just naturally emerged all on its own. So thank you for being a guest. And thank you to all of you out there for listening along today. And we will see you next time on As For The Rest Of Us. I have to be honest and say that when I was editing the audio for this particular episode, I thought to myself, what am I even going to edit? I don't want to cut any of this out. I hope you felt the same way as you were listening, thinking to yourself that story after story, point after point, piece of wisdom after piece of wisdom, you continued to hear yourself gaining value and insight from what it was that Amanda was sharing. Whether it was finding something to be grateful for every day, 
always laughing no matter how hard the circumstance, taking your life experiences and using them as a way to live out your mission in life, or continually checking in with yourself to understand who you are and what matters to you most. I think there was so much value to be gained in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week for another episode of As For The Rest Of Us. Thank you.